When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on vocnation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, vocnation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at vocnation. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumbs to Talk of Wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today has been in the pro wrestling business for many years. He started his career in 2000 as trained by the greatest wrestler of God's green earth, Harley Race. He is currently the World League Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, which is promoted out of Troy, Missouri. And he's also held numerous singles and tag team titles from other promotions. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce the current World League Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, Superstar Steve. Steve, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Brian, for having me. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit. Uh, growing up, are you from Missouri? Are you? No, uh, I, I'm not from Missouri, actually. I'm from Cal- I was actually born in California, so I'm built from California, okay. but I was actually born in California, so it's really not a stretch. Okay. <laughs> Being billed from Hollywood, California is really not a stretch. It's not too far from where I was actually born. It's probably about a three-hour drive. I was born in a small town called 29 Palms, California. Ah. And if there's any listeners that were in the military, they'll know yep. exactly what that what that town is all about. It's the largest military base, largest Marine Corps base in the continental United States. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was born. My dad was in the, in the Marine Corps. Um, and... Growing up, I moved to, moved around a little bit, mostly in my younger years. As I got older, we didn't move quite as much, but mm-hmm. I've lived in California and 29 Palms three different times, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Missouri. So uh, my parents okay. were from Springfield originally, and, and we kind of settled back in Missouri after my dad retired. So that's that's why I'm here. Awesome. That is well, thank you and, and your family for their service. Your dependents are, it's a challenging life. It's a very <laughs> challenging life. So It's different, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, a lot of challenges. So uh, schooling, uh, did you go to college? Did you, uh, after high school, did you do anything I, I like that? I did go to college, but it wasn't until later in life, actually. So right. I graduated high school. And even when I graduated high school, I had no idea I was going to get in the wrestling business. 
I guess growing up. I started watching wrestling in 1987, uh, right right around the time of WrestleMania three. And I lived in 29 Palms at the time, and a, a buddy, a childhood friend of ours, uh, was actually into wrestling, and he got me and my brothers hooked on wrestling. And it it started with WWF, but uh, it transcended that and quickly moved to um, reading magazines at the local Post Exchange PX um, and just finding out there's worlds, you know, different promotions out there and, and flipping through the magazines and and seeing all the different promotions and all the different wrestlers that were out there. You know, it was just as a kid, you're in awe because you don't see all these guys on TV. You just see WWF on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get the magazines and you see all these other things that are out there. You see some of the, the bloody stuff, you know, like the sheep herders, you know. So some of the brutal stuff that's out there you don't see on TV because everything on WWF at the time it was even mildly violent like that was censored. I don't know if you remember uh, there was a program between Outlaw Ron Bass and ooh, I want to say Brutus Beefcake maybe? I don't remember. Outlaw Ron Bass used his spur. You know, he cut somebody open with his spur and I remember it, there was a Big X across the TV and the word censored whenever that was going on. That stuck out to me for whatever reason. But yeah, um, yeah so so growing up, um, kind of followed the WWF more so than anything else. Um, but as I progressed in, in school, you know, I kind of followed different promotions and, you know, kind of mingled towards friends that were interested in wrestling too, of course. And we, I remember we had hold um, mock tournaments. You know, we'd list out all the wrestlers we could ever think of and yeah. <laughs> have mock tournaments and end up with a one champion to crown them all, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but so, so getting back to your question, my, my schooling, uh, I did go to college. It wasn't until later in life. So I ended up graduating high school. And after I graduated high school, I went straight into um, construction, actually. And it wasn't until I was in construction for a couple of years that I decided that, hey, if I'm going to do this wrestling thing, I need to do it now. And um, so at 20 years old, I started training to be a, a pro wrestler prior to wrestling, actual wrestling. Like I started going to the gym and I started doing cardio at home after work um to prepare myself for wrestling school um but I, I never did go to college until so i graduated high school in 1996 i didn't go to college until 2009 was when i got when i started my two degree graduated in 2011 with my two-year degree and then uh got hired at a company uh 3m and they ended up paying for my four-year degree, so I went and got an engineering degree after I got my two-year degree. So, but I do have some schooling. Uh, I'm not I'm just a loud mouth in the ring. I'm somewhat educated. And that's all right. You, you know, I didn't go to college until I was in my mid-thirties, so it's 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 good. Better late than never, right? That's the way yep, I look exactly. at it. That's what I was always told. <laughs> yeah, better late than never. So let me ask you this. Um, Being trained by Harley Race mm-hmm. at the Harley Race Wrestling Academy, probably at that time was probably either in Eldon or did it you go? Eldon, okay, yeah. 
So I, I started. So, so. Yeah, the original location was on uh, Maple Street in Eldon. Yeah, and, and that's where I started training at. Let's talk about your training. How? What was that like? Training with a legend like Harley Race. I mean, yeah, I, I can believe it was it was awesome. But I got we got we got to hear about it. Well, Harley, actually, when I went in for my tryout, um, I think I was the only guy that was actually trying out that day. There may have been one other guy I don't recall now, and it was 23 years ago. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Four years ago. <laughs> uh, but there was three other – two or three other people that were already in the business. One was Tim Warcloud. uh I don't remember the other guy. There was several guys that were already in the business that were already doing shows at the time. And Skippy Johnson, who was a referee at the time, was the one that was running everybody through the, their tryout stuff. But like I said, like I mentioned a little bit ago, when I started, before I started training to become a wrestler, I was doing stuff to prepare myself. You know, I did my homework. And so I was running roughly two and a half, three miles every day after I got off work and working construction, you know, you're in the elements all day. So I'd be out working in the heat, you know, in the summertime, working in the 90, 100 degree heat. And then I'd come home and I'd go for a run and it didn't bother me at the time. I'm sure it would now, but <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bother me at the time, but I mean, I've always been in good cardiovascular condition, but back then I was way ahead of most people. Um, and so when I went through their tryout, I was breezing through everything. And after talking to Tim Warcloud later on, uh, I, I don't remember the time frame, but sometime after after that tryout, talking to him, he was like, "Man, we hated you." <laughs> Skippy, who was the referee at, at the time for WLW, was running the training, and he was trying to blow me up, which in turn was blowing everybody else up because they couldn't keep up with either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Tim telling me, man, we hated you. you. Skippy was trying to blow you up, and he couldn't do it, and so he was blowing all of us up in the process, and we did not like you one bit. But <laughs> I I remember, you know, we was doing uh, either bends and thrusts or we was doing a, some kind of exercise, and I remember Harley coming out. I didn't realize he was even there, but I remember him coming out from the back and sitting on a couch, I don't know, he was like 10 feet from me, maybe. <laughs> he just sat there and was watching. I was like, holy shit, that's Harley Race. <laughs> and that's really the first time I ever had seen him. Uh, I, I'd gone to the school one time before just to get some information, and that was kind of a story in itself. I walk in one night while they was training. Uh, Derek Stone was running training. And he was in the ring with uh, Trevor Murdoch, um, Trevor Rhodes, Trevor Murdoch. Uh, and there was a couple other guys that were training, and they were, they were running through drills. But just as soon as I walked in, everybody went dead silent, and they just looked at me. And I walked in not, not knowing any different, right? I just walked in. I sat down on the couch. I just told you I hardly sat down on I sat on the couch, and, and Skippy turns around from the ring. He goes, can I help you out, brother? I was like, oh, I watch you guys. I just want to watch training. Oh, sorry, it's closed. Closed practice. We don't let people watch. So I was like, oh, well, I was thinking about coming down to to train. I was looking for some information on the school. 
And so that's that's really when I my first taste of of seeing the ring up close. Um, but Harley wasn't there at that time. Like I said, the first time I ever met Harley was at at the tryout itself, which was probably a month. No, it was longer than that. So I always give March 1st of 2000 as my official start date for training. Uh, I know it was right at the beginning of March. I don't know that it was the first. It was within the first week for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just just being there and being in the presence of Harley, who yeah. if you ever met him, I mean, I think he just commands respect, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think most people probably would anyway, but yeah. for whatever reason, just being in his presence, you know, he just has that persona that, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't help but respect the guy and what he's done in the business. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had read a lot of history on wrestling uh, through Melcher's newsletters, uh, so I knew who Harley was. I never saw a lot of him growing up, but I knew who he was. Right. And I knew what he'd done in the business. So, I mean, obviously the respect level was already there, but just to see him up close and in person uh, is yeah kind of all inspiring really right you know i i agree i i i met him oh my gosh 10 11 years ago and yeah i just saw him and i just kind of felt like you know starstruck yeah. and you know i was kind of just standing there and he he said something to me and uh yeah, I said, how are you, sir? And, and then I, I had uh, a, one of those uh, action figures I wanted him to sign for me and, you know, make it out to me personally. And he uh, got no problem. He took it, signed it, talked to me for a minute. And I was just, I was just starstruck. I was just kind of like, oh, I'm in front of Harley Race, you know. So I understand. It's so, pretty, pretty crazy for the, for everything he's done in the business. Yeah. And for, you know, everything he's seen, done, been a part of, he's the most mm-hmm. down to he could ever met. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's, yeah, he's a nice, he was a, he's a nice guy. I, I really enjoyed uh, being around him. And I noticed, too, whenever you guys had shows, I'll, I'll, I'll go back here in a minute, but when you guys had shows, like I was at Fort Leonard Wood for a while. Uh, so when you guys would come into town there at, uh, um, I think you were at St. Robert one time. This was years ago. Uh, and Rick Steamboat. Right. Pardon me? Wrestling in a bar there in St. Robert. Didn't yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I think Rick Steamboat was there or something. It was it was a while back. But, again, he just, you know, talked to me, and Rick Steamboat did, which was kind of a starstruck thing, too. I'm like, Rick Steamboat, my God. But, again, so – Let's talk a little bit, if we could. I'm going to circle back a little bit. Uh, your first match. Okay. What was that like for you? My first match was on May 20th of 2000. I know this because this is my sister's birthday. Okay. <laughs> there was there was a guy named Deputy Dale Heiser, who was, I mean, that was his ring name, but he was an actual deputy for Miller County, which is uh, the county that Eldon's located in. So he was a county sheriff, and he trained to be a wrestler. And by the time I started training, Derek Stone was never was not there anymore. He had a falling out with Harley and BJ, and he left. And so another guy named Jay Hanna had taken over training. 
but I don't think Jay Hanna was there every night either because he was kind of starting to have some issues as well, some mental mental health issues that eventually led to him leaving. Um, but Malaya Hasaka was there quite a bit. Uh, she lived at the lake for probably a year or so, and mm-hmm. just pretty much every show. Um, but Malaya was running a lot of trainings, and Skippy, the referee, was was running a lot of trainings also. Um, but they would also uh, they would always brag about Deputy Dell about Dell being so he's going to be so good and blah blah blah. It was always about Dell, and that was really my motivation for getting better. Was always hearing about Dell and and what uh-huh. and and how they couldn't wait for him to start doing shows, right? So that motivated me to get better. Well, as it turns out, that's the guy I had my first match with. <laughs> May 20th of 2000, we had a show at Bagnell Dam. So it was at a campground okay. below the Bagnell Dam, uh, and it was an outdoor show. And it rained. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, whatever hopes we had of having this, great five-star match for two guys that had maybe two matches under their belts by this point in time and none for me, right? This is all Del, Del <laughs> already. Um, whatever high hopes we had for a great match went out the window because a wet ring is a dangerous ring. <laughs> and so yeah. Yeah. we had, we had a match and I believe it went to a 15 minute time limit draw. Um, it may have been 20, but I think it was 15. Um, but I mean, by the standards of some of the, well, I'll tell you by the standards of what I saw in North Carolina a couple of nights ago at a show, it was a five-star classic. <laughs> but, uh, looking, looking back from my own perspective, it probably wasn't that good of a match. Um, <laughs> a being my first and B being Dell's, I don't know, third maybe match. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it, it is. What it is. Yeah, yeah. everybody's got to start somewhere. That's right, and you gain experience from it. You know, um, you start getting in more into your craft. Let's say, let's, uh, and I saw when I was doing some uh, uh, research on you, you were with some groups. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit. What was that like going for you? You know, you were at TCW for a while, New Breed, uh, Kansas City up there at uh, Metro Pro. What was that experience of, like, getting into different promotions and and gaining that knowledge? What was that kind of like for you? Like, were you a sponge, or did you just kind of, like... I tried, so... I think for the most part... I didn't want to wrestle for anybody besides Harley because it was Harley. Mm-hmm. And talking with some of the other guys that had wrestled outside of WLW, there was just a lot of crap out there. And it was mm-hmm. easy to hurt. And after going, like, I tell you right now, some of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen were down in Arkansas. <laughs> so after okay. having <laughs> some of those guys, I realized what they were talking about. Um and like everybody's at a different level right but Mm -hmm. you have to take pride in your work if you're going Mm -hmm. to do business if you're not taking pride in your work then you're just wasting your time and there's so many 
to see that don't take pride in their work. They're just out there hoping that what they're doing is going to be great, right? Yeah. So now I'm kind of veering off. That's all right. That's all right. But uh, so I, I started with WLW, and really the first group I wrestled for outside of WLW regularly was Central States Wrestling in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, and yeah, by that point in time, this is probably 2001, late 2001, early 2002. I'd already went to Japan, been to Japan a couple of times by that point in time. Uh, wow. if you want to talk about that before we get into this. No, go ahead. We'll talk about that later. We'll circle back. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I'd already started, I'd already been in Japan. I'd already trained in Japan. Uh, and was getting out doing some other stuff, but I mean, I I didn't care at that point who I was working, um, and I didn't care if I was winning or losing. To be honest with you, either, uh, I never have cared if I win or lose for the most part. I mean, there's some people that I probably have been like, no, I'm not putting that guy over, um, but for the most part, I can care less if I win or lose because I can get over myself. I know how to get over, and I can get over in a match regardless of whether I'm winning or losing, right? Right. So, um, a lot of the, a lot of the shows I would do, you know, I started off with Central States, and I actually wrestled regularly for Central States, but I would do a lot of one-off shows for, for groups here and there. So, TCW, um, Matt... Uh, Rivera? Riviera, yeah. Matt Riviera's group. That was a one-off shot which small side story they had Bobby Eaton on that show and when I walked in and was introducing myself to everybody I didn't see Bobby anywhere but Bobby came up to me and introduced himself to me you know he come up to me and was like hey how you doing I'm Bobby Eaton and I'm like I know who you are but, yeah, a lot of the shows I did were one-off shows, and a lot of the one-off shows, if I could work somebody from WLW, I did. Uh, mm-hmm. My original tag team partner, Matt Murphy, all that Matt Murphy got us booked on quite a few one-off shows. Um, and a lot of times I would work him, or we would take one of the younger guys that was training and work one of the younger guys that was training uh, just so that we could wrestle somebody we knew wasn't going to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But it kind of blossomed from there. Um, yeah. Ended up doing a Ring of Honor show in 2003, and by that time I'd yeah. already done quite a few tours of Noah. And unfortunately, it's just a one-show one deal, and they mm-hmm. never brought it back in after that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the, the goal in the business is to learn and to get better, right? So you have to yeah. take it. So no matter who you're wrestling or where you're wrestling, and you have to try to uh, build something that is going to help you to learn and you know, mm-hmm. build what you're learning, and and that's always been my goal. Yeah. Uh, Harley used to say, the marquee says wrestling, and if you can wrestle, you can go anywhere, and it, no truer words were ever spoken. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Uh yeah, I can't say enough. I mean, I've been to your guys' uh, promotion when you were in Eldon. Uh, I live in Springfield now, Missouri, so it, it's a little farther drive to get to, to Troy. Uh, but 
I just want to say before we kind of move on to your Japan story, I saw it last time I really saw you was probably, it's been a while. You were in Kansas City, or I'm sorry, um, uh, outside of Kansas City there. You were at a, a like a event outside. Uh, it was about, I think it was 2015 or 2016. And that was the first time I had, uh, saw you uh, wrestle. And I can just remember how really, and I'm not just saying that because you're on here. I, I was really impressed with your your skills and stuff, and your not yeah, not just your in-ring ability because you were uh, you were a heel at that time. Uh, so your your some of your uh, comments were were pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I'll put it like that, <laughs> you know, because some guys were in the crowd were her, you know harassing you. Rousing you up, and, and uh, you had some good comebacks to him. I will say that. And, this is uh, the thing about being a heel is you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want, and yeah. you're a bad guy. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's, uh, you know, and I've seen you a few times since then, but uh, that's where I really got to see you. And, uh, and I've always wanted to have you on here, and I was just glad we were able to, to finally – you know, I reached out to you. You said, "Yeah, we we got it going." So I'm very happy about that. But circling okay. back a little bit, yeah, you got. Yeah, I mean, do before you before yeah. you continue on here. So, like I said, I use Deputy Dell as my um, ammunition to to better myself coming mm-hmm. up. But it really wasn't long before I was already past the point that he was at, and. Mm-hmm. In order to get better in this business, you gotta wrestle guys that are better than you, because they will bring you up to their level while teaching you what they know, and then you find the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy. Well, once I got to the stage or the point where I was already as good as, or not, if not better than Dale, that guy turned out to be Trevor Rhodes, who is now Trevor Murdoch, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trevor and I pushed each other I mean, nonstop, and I can't tell you how many tag matches we had. Uh, quite a few singles matches too, but mostly tag matches between any combination of me and Matt Murphy versus him and Bull Schmidt, or him and Wade Chisholm, or him and a sporadic partner that Harley threw him with, versus <laughs> one form of me and Matt Murphy, or me and Ace Steel, or. Me and Derek McQuinn, I, it was a never-ending – it seemed like it went on forever where we was always wrestling each other, whether it be yeah. a single tag match. And we, we just had that chemistry where we pushed each other, um, and it bettered both of us. You know, he wanted to be yeah. better than me, I wanted to be better than him, and in the process, we we both won because we both got better, you know. Yeah. And that's that's <laughs> – kids in the business that are just starting in the business, that's what you need. You need to find yourself somebody that's going to push you to better you. You need to find somebody you need to try to be better than and you need to find somebody that will, in turn, try to be better than you because that's what's going to make everybody better. Not just you and that guy, but it's going to be whoever you wrestle from that point forward and whoever that guy wrestles from that point forward because now you're going to start bringing other people up too. Yeah. Very good uh, piece of advice for people. Speaking of which, I know we're going to get to the Japan thing, but i got to talk to you about a young man I spoke to a few months back, 
uh, spoke very highly of you as a as a mentor, as a person to uh, you know look up to, and that was he calls himself the astonishing one, Austin Molotalo. That young man, I can't—he could not say enough about you. Uh, and I want to know your thoughts on him. I mean, he's very young, and he hasn't been in the business for very long. And I, I think he's a real up-and-comer. I've seen him a few times now, and I—I'd like to know your thoughts about him. He is. He's an up-and-comer for sure. Um, like you said, he, he's young, and he's young to the business. He's only been wrestling for probably a year and a yeah. half, maybe two years. So I actually wrestled him in his second ever match. Um, Leland Race wrestled him in his first match down in Arkansas, actually. Uh, I wrestled him the next week or the next night. I don't remember uh, his second match. So I've wrestled him probably five or six times. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's a kid that wants to learn. And mm-hmm. those are the people I like helping because if you want to learn, I know you're committed. I know you're going to listen to the advice I give you. Um, I, I've heard many times over the years how when Jim Cornette was running OVW, he would tell the guys that were under contract, if they were doing something wrong, he would give them advice on whatever it was three times. And after the third time of him telling them, he, he stopped telling them because he figured if they weren't going to change it, then he was just wasting his breath. If they, if they weren't going to change it after three times of being told, then he was wasting his breath. And to an extent, that's how I feel too. You can only tell a guy to me, hey, don't do it this way because of this. Don't do this because this is what's going to happen if you do that, you know. Yeah. You can tell them so many times, and, and then you are wasting your breath. They're they're not going to change. People people are creatures of habit, right? And I'm good, too. Don't get me wrong. I have yeah. stuff I yeah, I'm setting my ways on, and even in the ring, I have stuff I'm setting my ways on. And if somebody came and, and told me to change this, I would at least listen to them. And I may not do it, but I would at least listen to them. Um, but I know Austin wants to improve, and Austin does take that that information, and I think he does actively try to improve on the stuff that I, that I give him advice on. And those are the people I respect. Those are the people yeah. that are the future of the business. I mean, I'm yeah. turned 45 years old, so I'm not going to be doing this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little ahead of you, buddy. I'm a little ahead of you, but that's okay. <laughs> we, we need guys to take over that are, that are going yeah. to, um, A, respect the business and the, the people yeah. that are in it, but B, continue on the the traditions of wrestling, not just the sports entertainment and the stuff you right. see on TV today. And right. I think he's really one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So, it's the type of guy that I like teaching. I see myself as a teacher at this stage in my career. Yeah. I just want to help other people because I've been places, I've done things. I've worked guys that these people may never get to work. You know, I've worked guys on levels that these guys may never get to work. And mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a story. One time, Steve Regal was on a show that Harley did. Uh, he was he was working. It was 2009. He wrestled Ace Steel on the show. But I, I went up to I went up to Regal in the locker room and I said, "Hey, nice to meet you. My name's Steve. Uh, I just want to thank you." So he was it was like a three day camp, and then um, at the end of it, they had a wrestling show, right? And it was 
WWF, Pro Wrestling NOAA, WLW um, agreement. And as part of that, WWF or WWE would send somebody to scout talent and at least give a talk to the guys. Well, it happened to be Regal that year. And so he ended up working Ace Steel on the show at his own request, which is a uh, feather in the cap to Ace, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I go up to him before the show and I say, Hey, I was at the, I was listening to you talk and give advice to the guys yesterday. And I really appreciate it. I said, I'm not trying to get in WWF or WWE at this stage of my life, but I like to take the advice that you guys give. And I like to try to incorporate that to make the local product that much better. And I think he thought when I first came up to him that I was looking for contact information to, to send a tape somewhere or something. But you could see the change on his face after I told him that I just, I appreciate the advice. <laughs> the, 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 the change on his face was just, I mean, night and day different. And he's like, I, I'm glad I can help you. You know, thank you for listening to me. I appreciate the fact that you came up and introduced yourself to me now and that, that you thank me for, for the information because I like to see the stuff that I'm, that I'm saying is actually going to good use too. And that's kind of the point where I'm at in my career now is I want to help the younger guys. Yeah. But I don't want to waste my breath. I want the information I'm giving them to go to good use and to actually be used and to mm-hmm. make the local product that much better. Because if the local product's better, the yeah. promotion draws better, then the boys are going to get paid more money. Which, yeah. if no, if if anybody knows anything about or doesn't know anything about the local pro wrestling scene or indie wrestling scene, the guys don't make much money. So right. if they can make a little bit more, then mission accomplished. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I want to ask you this. Uh, are you maybe foreseeing in the future, once you get your, out of your in-ring career, would you have the idea of possibly becoming a trainer at the academy there or, or somewhere and be a trainer slash mentor or something of that kind of a role? Probably nothing on a full-time basis, um, but I, I mean, I'm always open. If I'm at a show somewhere and a guy wants to talk to me about uh, psychology or character development, or if a guy wants to talk to me about anything to better himself, I'll always sit and talk to a guy, uh, mm-hmm. and I'll give him the best advice for the level they're at, or mm-hmm. advice to aim for this right here. Um, and once you get to that, then we can talk some more and I'll get you to the next step, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the business hurts bad enough. <laughs> if I wrestle if I wrestle once, I'll be sore for several days as it is. So I couldn't do anything yeah. during full time. But yeah. definitely be on hand to give advice and, and to help guys improve themselves for sure. Right. I was just wondering because, you know, you talk about mentoring guys and how you like to do that and take your advice. I didn't know if maybe in the future, maybe not being in the ring per se, uh, you know, taking the bumps, but maybe watching on the outside while the other trainers are in there doing their training and then afterwards you do like a little after action review, if you will, and say, hey, you know, you guys did great, uh, you know, and maybe – 
tell somebody, you know, work on this a little bit more or, or something like that. I, I, you know, I know a lot of you guys have been in this for a long time. You're, you're sore, you're tired. I get it. I mean, I've never done it, so I can't say per se I know how it feels, but I've talked to enough of, of you that once you're in this business five, six years, you, you know, there's aches and pains and, uh, so I understand that. So you, know. you, you can take you can take the boy out of the business, but you can't take the business out of the boy. I guess it's, there you it's, go. It's good saying. So yeah. I'll always be in, most yeah. likely I'll always be involved in the business in one form or yeah. another. Yeah. Um, but the advice will never stop. I, if yeah. I see somebody doing something wrong, I I have to say something to them. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> if okay. I see somebody doing something wrong. And I think they have the potential to do better. I'm probably going to say something to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Now, we can circle back to Japan because going to Japan or getting even to go over to Japan is is hard enough from what I've been told before. If you get invited to go to Japan or, or a promoter sends you over there, that says something about you that you have potential. Right. That you have that it factor or you're developing that it factor. Talk about your time over in Japan, if you would, there, Steve, and, and what what things you guys, what was it like over there for you? Well, okay, so in order for us to get to Japan, we, that's probably a bad way of phrasing it. We got to Japan because of Harley. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for Harley having the connections that he had as the NWA champion with Giant Baba and All Japan, we would never have got into pro wrestling Noah with Masala. So uh, that that's how we got over there, bottom line. Pro wrestling mm-hmm. Noah was a relationship with Harley because he's Harley raced. He was an eight-time NWA heavyweight champion, which in Japan is still a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh and so they wanted they wanted that relationship, and they wanted Harley on their board um, for uh, whatever whatever wrestling board they had over there. I I don't know how to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a yeah. A fictitious board, essentially, right? Yeah. Look, uh, they wanted his name, and in order to yeah. get his name, he wanted uh, he wanted them to use his guys, and right. he. he Harley Harley ended up being the um, North American liaison for pretty much any talent going to Japan, going to Pro Wrestling Noah in the United States. Um, they would book through him, and he would get a, a fee for sending guys over, which I think was only like a hundred dollars a week per guy that he was sending over. But he was getting a little something out of it. Uh, and of course, the guys were getting the exposure and the opportunity to go to Japan, which was phenomenal. So I was about 16 months in the business when uh, I went over the first time, which was in July of 2001. And I didn't think I was good by any means, but mm-hmm. I got over there and I had my first couple matches. I realized that I didn't know shit. <laughs> 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 their, their guys were worlds, in my opinion. Were our best guy was as good as their worst guy, most likely. 
in my opinion. And knowing that after after the guys started trickling through, so BJ Whitmer and Matt Murphy were the first two guys to go through Harley to go over there. They went in June, and then myself and Bullschmidt and Matt Murphy and BJ Whitmer all went back in July as well <clears throat> of that of 2001, and. As the guys started going over and coming back, we realized that, hey, we got to pick up our game. Now, if you recall, I told you the only way to get better in this business is to wrestle guys that are better than you. That was paramount to the talent level rising in WLW because we were going over there and wrestling world-class workers and coming back and, and teaching the guys in WLW the stuff we were learning while we were being taught over there. And that made the whole promotion better as a whole. Uh, if yeah. you go watch an indie show from top to bottom in the early 2000s, WLW shows, I, I would put them up against any show out there. Yeah. Uh, and that was really the beginning of WLW taking off and, and being the best group definitely in, in the Midwest, in my opinion. I agree. That's, I had to take a drink there. So it's fine, no. Going over there and learning from those guys, I mean, awesome. I I, I was on 14 different tours. And wow. just getting one tour for some guys was, was hard. But mm-hmm. I went over there, and luckily, lucky for me, uh, Big Van Vader uh, was over there pretty much every tour. Two Cold Scorpio was over pretty much every tour. And they both took a liking to me. And yeah. Scorpio actually proposed to Masawa that uh, they bring me over and, and train me in their dojo. And so they talked to me about it and said, hey, is this really what you want? And I said, yeah. Because at the time, Chris Benoit was my favorite wrestler. And I knew that he trained in the New Japan dojo. And I wanted to be as good as Chris Benoit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people had those those thoughts. They wanted to be just as good as Chris Benoit because he was so Chris at what he did. Uh, and I saw that as a stepping stone. If I could get my foot in the door and and come over here and train in the dojo, then yeah, I'm one step closer to being that much better, right? And so that's what I did. They brought me over and I trained in the dojo for three months with Pro Wrestling Noah. And I don't think they had high hopes originally, but I gained their respect back pretty quick because um, the Japanese are big on not quitting in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. And I I didn't quit. I didn't give up on myself in anything I did over there. And I think I earned their respect because of that. And uh, I I think there were guys that were harder to break the shell on. And Mm -hmm. it took a little more time for them to come around. But the more I was over there, I think the more they started respecting me. I think the last tour I was on was in 2008. And I think by that point in time, uh, they they all had respect for me. And yeah. the hard work that I did. You know, Harley got my foot in the door by getting me over there. And my hard work and my dedication is what kept me over there. And is what yeah. kept bringing me back. <clears throat> Yeah. I remember specifically a tour I did, I want to say it was in 2002. I'd come back from a tour, 
Ron Harris was supposed to go over on the next tour, and Ron Harris had to cancel off at the last minute for whatever reason. And when Harley called and, and told him that, hey, Ron Harris can't make it because of what XYZ reason, uh, they said, all right, well, we'll get back to you and we'll tell you who we want to come back over. And uh, so Harley was talking to the, the guy in Hawaii. The guy in Hawaii had to call Japan. By the time they got back to Harley, they said, we want Steve to come back. Uh, I just got back like a couple of days. <laughs> they had this conversation a couple of days before yeah. they had this conversation. And I was working construction at the time. And the company I worked for, I think they were, I think they tolerated me going over there just because I was reliable, reliable work for them. But yeah. I think kind of uh, miffed when I just got back from two and a half, three weeks being gone. I said, uh, guys, I'm going back to Japan again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I was told that, so I go on that next tour, and the liaison from Hawaii, Ken Hariyama, ends up coming on the tour as well. And when he when he got there, he told me, he says, this is really huge for them to actually request that you come and replace, you know, the guy that couldn't come. They they have a lot of respect for you. And that was 100% from the hard work that I had put in. Um, and that that's not something you can teach, you know. Yeah. Um, respect is respect is earned. It's not given, right? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, you gotta be raised the right way. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Uh, so that's an amazing story. I mean, I, I I've heard a lot of things about Japan, and it, yeah, you get respect over there, and they request you to come back. That says a lot. About you as a person, as a as a wrestler. See, they're they're also huge on knowing that they're not going to get hurt, and right. So they would they would have this camp every year, typically in like it was in the fall, like August, September, October time frame. They would have a camp, and Noah was at the camp every year, and the grand prize winner at the camp would get to go to Japan and train in the dojo for three months or six months, whatever it was. And every year they would show up to this camp and I would hear from Ken every year, you know, Ken would talk to me quite a bit and I'd hear from him every year. Oh, these guys are so dangerous because they would see guys with bloody noses, bloody lips, black eyes, because they were potato on the crap out of each other, trying to impress all these people that were in from, from Noah. And, it, it wasn't impressing them, you know. They're, I think people have the wrong impression of the Japanese style of wrestling. It is known as strong style wrestling, and they watch it, and it looks stiff as hell, right? Yeah. yeah. It can be. Don't get me wrong. It can be for right. sure. But they don't, they don't give each other bloody noses, black eyes, busted lips. They don't do that kind of stuff. And when they see these guys hurting each other, the first thing they think of is that guy's not coming over for us. And mm. people never realize that. And so inevitably every year the winner was somebody that was already training in WLW because they knew that this guy was training there. They're going to be safe. They're not going to hurt our guys. Mm. And 
I think it was kind of a running joke that nobody from outside WLW ever, ever won these things, except for one time. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one year there was this kid named Rudy Valley, and I'll hear from him every now and again. He'll send me a text, but Rudy Valley won one year, and the reason he won was because every time they looked at him, he was standing up, stretching. He was doing something to look as though he was preparing to get in the ring. Uh, and they respected that because nobody else would do that. You know, they would, we would all have our warm up exercises we ran through and then we would start running drills and matches and you were just pairing guys up. All right. Give me this guy. Give me this guy. Get in there. Have a match. Right. Mm-hmm. And everybody would watch and we critique it. And the next two, you know, everybody's sitting around the ring still while this is going on. And this would go on for a couple hours. And so if you're two two hours into this and they call you to get in the ring, well, your muscles are cold now, which means you're going to run the risk of pulling a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And they every time they looked over, Rudy was stretching because he was trying to stay limber. And they respected that. And talent-wise, he was not good at all. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> it's, it's the facts. And yeah. told Harley that they wanted to pick this guy to go train in Japan. Harley's like, you don't want that guy because Harley knew he wasn't that good. And yeah. they're like, no, 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 we want this guy. We want Rudy. And they're like, and Harley's like, no, no, we don't. Well, they eventually won out. And Harley's like, all right, I'll tell you what. You can pick him as, as the ultimate winner and that he's going to go over and train on one condition, and that's that he comes and trains with me before he goes and trains with you. And so Rudy came. He moved to Eldon. I don't remember how long it was for. It was probably close to a year he came to Eldon, but he never went oh, wow. to Japan because he couldn't – he never made yeah. it past the training that we were offering in WLW to go to Japan. Yeah. But yeah. the one time they chose somebody other than a WLW guy is because the guy was always warming up, stretching, doing wow. something to be limber and ready, and they respected that. They liked it. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's a uh... – you know, Japan is, like I said, a totally different beast, but, you know, they have a lot of a lot of good things going on over there. I want to ask you a couple more questions. One, Steve, is have you ever worked for WWE or AEW or Impact, either as a, you know, a fill-in or, or something like that? There's some people that have. I'm just curious if you ever were, have that, that opportunity. Well, I, I, I think I had six televised matches for WWE where I was enhancement talent, right? I was mm-hmm. I was to make their guys look good. Uh, the first time being in 2001, January of 2001, here in St. Louis, it, it was the Kill Center back then. Uh, mm-hmm. The first time I ever wrestled in front of a, an actual crowd of people, and I was just in awe. There was 20,000 people in the Kill Center, you know, sold out for Raw, and Matt Murphy and I wrestled Kai and Tai, which was Takamichinoku and Shofunaki, on Sunday Night Heat. And okay. I'll never forget that because 
that's the first time a that I wrestled a, a high profile match like that. But Shofunaki, from that point forward, always remembered me. A because I wrestled him, but B because I was he found out later that I was going to Noah and one of his old buddies from a defunct group now, but a group called Battle Arts was uh Daisuke Akeda. And he would always ask me how Akeda was whenever I went to the tapings after that and uh, you know, just how's Noah, how you like Japan, you know, just I mean he would sit there and he would talk to me like a normal person, whereas most of the guys up there you might meet him once and and i kind of get it to a degree like they wouldn't recognize you or remember you but mm-hmm. there were some guys that didn't even want to i mean they wouldn't stoop to, to the level of, of meeting somebody in my position you know some some jabroni off the indies i mean that was just <laughs> taboo to be associated with somebody like that yeah so, I mean, there's there's some guys up there that i still hold grudges to hold grudges against <laughs> I think yeah. I had all right. grudges against because they treated me like shit in my opinion yeah. Uh, but yeah I think six televised matches total for WWE over the years um, quite a few appearances as security and whatnot. Um, I've never done anything with AEW I had one one show with Ring of Honor which was a four way match uh, it was me and Ray Gordy, which is uh, Terry Gordy's son, who was also going mm-hmm. to at the time, uh, a guy named Chad Collier, and um, he used Hydro, Hydro, Hydra at the time, but um, dang it, can't think of his name now. Black Machismo. Uh, oh, Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal, yes. Yeah, yeah, four away, and it was the first time I've been in a multi-person match like that, so it didn't blow the socks off of anybody. Um, yeah, no, it was the first time Ray, or yeah, that Ray Gordy had been in a four-way match as well. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the match, but it didn't it didn't knock anybody's socks off that was in the decision-making uh, facet, and so I never got to go back after that, but. Okay. Uh, that's basically my high-profile uh, matches that I've had for higher companies. Well, hey, you can say you've done it. Well, it's more than most people ever do. But... That's right. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Um, you've been in the business for over 20 years. There's been a you know a shift. I guess I would want to call it, in how things are on TV and, and at matches. And I will say, like, your promotion and a few other, they still do the old school stuff, which I believe now in the last four or five years, the indies have really made a comeback as far as people wanting to go to those shows, people wanting uh, to attend because they don't cost an arm and a leg. They don't. Uh, you know, the, the wrestlers, even if they're a heel or whatever, I mean, during the pre-show and intermissions and stuff, they'll come out and sign autographs and take pictures and stuff. Has has it turned for the better, I mean, overall the same, or do you think it's less? I want your opinion on how it shifted and, and what you think of it. 
I don't I don't think it's any worse by any means. Maybe slightly better than when I first broke in. You're always going to have what I call shit promotions that um, they run a really crappy show. And I actually just went Saturday in North Carolina. Um, they use really low, really low level talent guys that are barely trained that should not be in the ring. Um, they probably should never get in the ring period, but somebody trained them and mm. now shows and now somebody's booking them to be on shows uh, and they think they're hot shit and yeah. they, <laughs> and that, that right there is what gives the business a bad name is yeah. poorly trained guys, which is yeah. one of the reasons why I try to help guys out. Uh, some, like I said, some guys are beyond help and those are the ones I avoid. But if I can help somebody out and help make the business look better, I'm going to. Um, but there's always going to be those groups that run because anybody that has a wrestling ring can be a promoter nowadays. Anybody that has a wrestling ring can be a trainer nowadays. There, mm. there is no um, regulation in the business like there used to be back in the day. You know, back in the 70s, if you wanted to be a pro wrestler, I mean, Go back to if you ever read Hulk Hogan's autobiography, he talks about Hiro Matsuda breaking his leg when he went in to to try out for the first time. They say, "Yeah, come on down, kid. We'll 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 show you what it's like." And so he gets in there with Hiro Matsuda, and Hiro Matsuda breaks his leg, and he leaves for however many months until he heals up, and he comes back later, and he tries it again, and he I don't remember if he got injured the second time, but. And that's how they regulated the business back in the day. Everybody, everybody knew that wrestling was fake, right? Everybody knew that that when I punch you, I'm not really punching you. And when they went down to train, if they went to a tryout somewhere, the wrestlers would show them that, yeah, it's not all fake, buddy. This is how we do it. This is, you know, mm-hmm. back in those days, if there was a submission move and a lot of submission moves, I, I think are still based on legitimate holds or moves. Um, but they would stretch guys because they had yep. to show them that, Hey, this isn't what you think of it. You know, this is what it is. But now it's so easy for guys to get involved in the business because yeah. um, they can go out and buy their own wrestling ring now. And yeah. if they have their own wrestling ring, Nothing against the Hardy Boys, but the Hardy Boys trained themselves. I mean, they went on to do some phenomenal stuff in the business, and I have much respect for them, but they were never uh, trained in the business at all. They trained themselves. And so that makes what they've done even that much better, I think. But they are, no doubt, the minority, because most of the guys that try to do that look like shit. (laughs) Yeah. The exception to the rule, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Interesting. I I will say like uh probably with it for me, uh especially around here and up in, in St. Louis, southern Illinois, the promotions, the indies for me have just increased as far as their product twofold. I talk about WLW, uh SICW, New Breed, uh you know, mid states down here. Uh, just quality, you're right, there are some crap promotions, uh, indies, but 
I think a lot of them now are getting shoved out. I mean, you see a lot more better quality, better training, uh, better promotions that actually care about what they're putting out there. And I will say to you maybe, you know, 10 years ago, probably WLW and maybe a few others in the state here were probably about it that were actually legit and cared. Well, I think it's got Missouri's a great place. The commission in Missouri is 100% right. because they wanted to get rid of a lot of the hardcore right. groups that were running back in late 90s and early 2000s. And they did clean right. it up to an extent. Um, a lot of those groups moved over to Illinois where it's not regulated and they don't have to be licensed. And yeah. there's a lot of what I call shit wrestling shows that are run over in Illinois now, Southern Illinois, because they can't run in Missouri. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some quality groups out there, no doubt. And yeah. I, yeah. there's definitely some people that run those those show those groups. Uh like you said, mid states, WLW, SICW, um I think it's Central States now up in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, the one that's running that they know that high quality talent will draw people in. It may not be the first show you run, it may not be the fifth show you run. But over time, word will get out that, oh, my God, these shows are are kicking butt, man. These are phenomenal yeah. shows that we can see here locally that, like you said, aren't going to cost you $150 to take your family to. Right. You, know, you can see them relatively cheaply. And because of that and because people got fed up with WWE five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, whatever it was, throwing out all mm-hmm. the – the same shitty stuff that they were throwing out that there was this indie revolution and that kind of fueled what you're seeing now on the indies that yeah. you don't have to be on TV to make a whole lot of money in this business. You can you can be a good worker and you can be a local worker and still make a decent living if you promote yourself and yeah. go out and put in the effort, put in the time, put in all the work, make yourself better and you'll go places in this business. A lot of people, I don't think, realize that. They, they think that, oh, I trained, and they're going to let me on this show now, so I don't need to train anymore. You know, <laughs> being on this show is going to be good enough for me, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. No. It does not. Good analogy. One last question for you, sir, then we're going to let you go. Tell us a little bit about some upcoming events that you're going to be a, a part of, if you would, please. Upcoming events I'm going to be a part of. I don't have dates off the top of my head, but I took off the months of July and August, so I did no shows over those two months. I am going to be back in action in September. I believe it's the 9th. I don't recall, but somewhere around the 7th or 9th of September for WLW up in Troy, Missouri. Okay. Following week, I'll be in SICW for Herb Simmons. Uh, I believe that's in Belleville. Belleville on Saturday, then TV tapings uh, the next day, Sunday, in East Carondelet, Illinois. Um, I got some – so I work for three promotions, basically. Basically, World League Wrestling out of Troy, Missouri, SICW Herb Simmons out of Southern Illinois and New Breed Wrestling out of Eldon, Missouri. Those are three groups I work for. Um, you could look them all up on Facebook yep. because you don't have dates. 
Yeah. No, that's uh, hey, no, that's great. Now I'm gonna say this that if you see, and I'm not just saying this because you're on here, but if you see Superstar Steve on the marquee or on the Facebook post about SICW World League or, or, or New Breed, go and watch. I've seen him in person. He's a phenomenal wrestler. He is the current World League Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. So if he's on there uh, that weekend of September, if you're near there, get get a ticket. I mean, it's worth it. It doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to go. They're good people. The food's pretty cheap, too. You don't have to pay 50 bucks for a hamburger and a Coke. <laughs> so... Uh, and the merchandise, you know, support these guys if you're out there. Uh, they got merchandise, photos, T-shirts, other items up for sale that, that don't cost an arm and leg as well. So one more time, ladies and gentlemen, World League Heavyweight Champion, Superstar Steve, thank you for coming on today, sir. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. It's always it's always a pleasure to get to to tell my story to anybody that wants to hear it. So I appreciate you having me on. My I'll pleasure, sir. Let me know. I'll be more than happy to come back on. I appreciate that. I will I will pick you up on that. So, folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so. And we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off a uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Steins of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Ding, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month. 
and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... Uh, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Aptor, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruno lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this. The rules, as I always understood them, was that the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out, vocnation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.